First Chronicles chapter 27 tonight. I'd like to begin reading in verse number 25, and we're going to read down to verse number 28. We could read to the end of the chapter, or just to be honest, we could just read verse 28, because our thought is found there. Uh, but to give us a little context, we'll begin at verse number 25. The Word of God says, And over the king's treasures was Asmaveth, the son of Adiel, and over the storehouses in the fields, in the cities, and in the villages, and in the castles, was Jehonathan, the son of Uzziah. And over them that did the work of the field for tillage of the ground was Ezri, the son of Kelub. And over the vineyards was Shimei, the Ramathite. Over the increase of the vineyards for the wine cellars was Zabdi, the Shifmite. And over the olive trees and the sycamore trees that were in the low plains was Baal-Hanan, the Gedarite. Now notice this, and over the cellars of oil was Joash. Let's notice that again. It says, and over the cellars of oil was Joash. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we do thank you for this day that you've given us, for the blessing that it is to be in your house. Now, God, we ask that you would encourage us this evening. Lord, that the Spirit of God would have liberty to move and to work in our midst. Father, we know that the only real encouragement we can gain is from your word. Lord, we know that we have a big and busy week ahead of us. And so, Father, as we are preparing ourselves and allowing you to prepare us, we just pray, Father, that you would gain glory out of what takes place tonight. And, Lord, that you would strengthen us and give us resolve and determination, Lord, and a joy of spirit as we endeavor upon this week. Lord, we love you, and we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, I'm interested in the phrase at the end of verse number 28. What we're reading here is actually the jobs that David had handed out, uh, that were handed out in the king's house, uh, concerning those that would serve in his, uh, in his house. There's a lot of jobs that are mentioned as you read through this, uh, a lot of things that are important that need to be done, and talks about those that are over the storehouses in the fields and in the cities and villages and the castles, and over the field for tillage, in other words, was over watching over some of those uh, royal farmland, that royal farmland that David had to produce uh, for the castle and for uh, profits, and it talks about over the vineyards and the uh, vineyards for the wine cellars and the olive trees and the sycamore trees. If you were to go a little bit further in the chapter, you'd hear about the camels and the herds of sheep and uh, the flocks of various birds. And lots of jobs are given throughout this chapter. But we're told in verse number 28 about a man by the name of Joash who had an unusual job. The Bible says that he was the keeper over the cellars of oil. Now, when it says uh, the cellars of oil, we know this is talking about olive oil, which was almost the lifeblood of uh, daily life at that time in, uh, in the eastern communities and in the eastern nations. Uh, if they were going to see anything, they had to put oil in the lamp. If they were going to cook anything, they had to put oil in the pan. If they were going to make any medicine, they had to use uh, the oil as a, as a carrier uh, for whatever the medicinal properties were. Literally, you might say, just as today, although it's a different type of oil, that the Middle East could not run without oil. Certainly in that day, uh, for the day-to-day -day and average life of uh, each and every person that lived there, uh, if you didn't have oil, you couldn't survive. You may remember about a woman whom God used Elijah to work mightily in her life, uh, that uh, she was getting ready to, they were starving to death, her and her son, and she had just enough uh, meal and uh, flour there to make one little cake for 
her and her son to eat and just enough oil to cook that cake and she was getting ready to die. And uh, the Bible tells us how that God caused the uh, cruise of oil not to fail and uh, caused the, the flour not to fail and how that God preserved her and watched over her. And the reason she was so concerned is because literally to run out of oil would mean death for her and her household. It was that vital to their life. But when you really think about what Joash did, uh, I was telling my wife and talking to her about this, you know, I've got to run everything by her before I preach it, amen. And uh, we were talking about it, and she was setting me straight on some things. But, you know, really that word cellars just denotes a basement. Some of you may have grown up in a time when you had a cellar. And uh, I don't really know what the difference between a cellar and a basement is. I think a cellar you go in maybe from the outside and a basement from the inside. But I think for all practical intents and purposes, no one wants to spend a lot of time down there. Joash's responsibility was literally to stay in the basement and watch barrels of oil. Now, as they were passing out jobs that day, I have a good inclination that Joash probably did not raise his hand and ask for that job. But the king looked at him and entrusted him with this job just the same. And so day by day, if you were to go down into the shadows of the cellar there, you would have found Joash serving as king and being faithful. And you know what a fitting picture that is of so many in the church today. The vast majority of the work that's done for the Lord in these days that we live in is done in the shadows. Not everybody's going to preach a sermon. Not everybody's going to sing a song. I would say this, that the person that scrubs the toilets or the person that cooks a meal or the person that vacuums the floor or the person that picks up the trash or whatever it might be uh, is just as important as the person that might stand behind the pulpit or hold a microphone in their hand. You say, why do you believe that, preacher? Because the Bible tells us that the church is the body of Christ. And uh, each one of us are members in particular. And that each one of those members is necessary for the body to function properly. And so I believe that as you look down this catalog of servants, I believe in Joash we have a picture of those that just go about doing the work of the Lord and serving the Lord, not to be seen of men, but to be seen of God. And I think I see some encouraging things in this thought tonight that I want to share with you. I want to say a word first off about the fruitfulness of the work that Joash did. Now, you say to yourself, well, you know, preacher, uh, surely those barrels of oil weren't going to go anywhere. No, they probably wouldn't have got up and walked away on their own. But it was a very vulnerable part of the king's palace in which robbers and bandits and maybe even some of the employees would seek to steal that valuable oil. And so someone had to stand there and watch what was taking place. This oil was used, as we've already mentioned, in every facet of life. And I jotted a few down that I I think might be interesting just to think about for a minute. Uh, I'd say, first off, that this oil was important to the king economically. Uh, The oil was valuable, and that's why it had to be guarded. See, you don't have to guard things that aren't worth anything. Amen? And, uh, you know, parents, we all, as parents, those of us that are raising kids, we need to just remember that when they get to be teenagers and uh, they're fussing at us and, and rolling their eyes at us and so on and so forth, we guard them because they're valuable. Amen? And so you guard something with value. And the oil certainly would have been of great value in that day that it lived in because it provided the wealth of the kingdom. Do you know that a church will not be economically viable if there aren't folks to serve God and to just simply do the work that is thankless and that is without glory. Uh, when you think about the life of a church, and, uh, I, you know, I think often about this. I, I guess, you know, it's the business I'm in, amen. But 
I think about all of the things that take place in the church that we have here. We have lots of different ministries. You know, we, we're getting ready to start our vacation Bible school tomorrow night. And there's not much more intensive, labor intensive of a, of a week all year. I mean, camp is tough. Uh, but there's something about VBS that is just draining. I think because sometimes you don't break from the cycle of your normal day to day, uh, you just, you know, it's like you take camp and just throw it on top. And it's an exhausting time. Uh, but do you know that we reach people through that effort? We reach people through that effort. I'm aware the church is not about money. God doesn't need our money. Uh, but it does take money to run a church. And uh, the reason there's people in the pews that give and contribute is because they believe in what we're doing this next week. The same thing could be said about our seniors' ministry. What an encouraging ministry that that is. And uh, folks that have been reached, folks that are in our church today because of that ministry and the impact that it's had on them. The same could be said about our youth ministry and uh, some of the things that we have involved with it. And of course, our camp ministry that we do every year and the Sunday school classes. All of these labors that take place is part of what is vital and necessary for people to go to a church that they have confidence in. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a part of a dead church. Amen? I don't want to be a part of a dead church. I mean, I, I, I'm, I understand it as a pastor, I'm in a little bit different boat than some of you all are. But, uh, you know, I, I, as a Christian, I pay tithes. And uh, you say, how much? Well, none of your business. Amen? <laughs> uh, not to let the right hand know what the left hand doeth. That's between me and the Lord. But uh, I, pay tithes. I wouldn't want to give my money to a dead church. It's not doing anything for the Lord. I'm not saying we have to have a circus every week. I'm not saying we have to jump through hoops and entertain people. But I am saying this, that people want to be a part of a church that is vibrant, that is growing, that is doing something for the Lord Jesus Christ, that is serving God. And none of those things, none of those ministries could take place without those that are willing to serve in the shadows. Those that are willing to do the thankless job. I've watched Brother Kerry this week. I don't even know where he's at. He's probably out somewhere hot gluing something. And, uh, you know, me, me and Leah were talking on the way in about how big of a job Vacation Bible School is. If you've ever done it, you know how big it is. And uh, it, It's been a joy, although it's been a little bit, you know, uh, I've been sympathetic with him, if I could put it that way, as I've watched him labor and work so hard. And uh, him and Miss Rachel and so many others that have worked hard to prepare for this VBS have done a tremendous job. And it's work. That's exactly what it is. If you want to be a part of a growing church, it requires work. It's a labor of love. It doesn't just happen. It happens when God's people selflessly and sacrificially serve the Lord and do it for His glory and for His honor. So I would say that serving in the shadows is vital to the economic well-being of a church or the financial well-being. But not only economically, uh, and we could talk about medicinally, by the way. Uh, you, you know, it was used for medicine. Uh, it was used as what they might call a carrier oil. In other words, they'd take... Uh, whatever uh, ingredients had the healing properties, and they would put those in the oil. And the oil could carry or apply those things. By the way, let me just say, and we'll talk about it in a moment, but you know that oil is a picture of the Holy Spirit. picture of the Holy Spirit. You know, you can have all the ingredients in the world that can heal things and soothe things and make things right, but if the Spirit of God isn't in it, there's no carrier oil. There's, no, there's nothing to apply it. I mean, we can give people truth, but if the Spirit of God is not in the midst, then it has no means of being applied to our hearts and lives. But let me say that for a church to be healthy and, uh, and to heal and to be a place where people can heal, it takes those that serve in the shadows. And I'm not going to preach on it, but I think it's worth noting. Uh, a church is a place where people ought to be able to heal and grow in the Lord. 
when mistakes are made, and if you're around people, you're going to be around mistakes. People are going to do things wrong. They're going to mess up sometimes. Oftentimes, those that are serving in the shadows and those that are working and laboring uh, and doing the thankless jobs facilitate that taking place. But let me say also it was used for visibility. The oil would be added to lamps and burnt, and you couldn't have light without the oil. Couldn't have light without the oil. I believe we ought to have a presence in our community. Don't you believe that? I believe our church ought to have a... Te- in fact, our church does have a testimony. Every church has a testimony. But I believe it ought to be the right kind of testimony. I believe... You know, that's one of the reasons I like steeples. Now, I'm not going to sit up here and fuss about churches having steeples or not having steeples, but, but nowadays when people build a church building, most of them say, well, we just don't want it to look like church. Well, why? I think, I think a church ought to look like church. The purpose of a steeple initially was so that someone that was traveling might be able to see that cross and look up to it and know there's help to be found there. I think that's important. I'm not going to fuss. I know there may be some church two miles or two blocks away that don't have a steeple. If if there is, I don't know it, and I ain't fussing about them. I'm just merely saying this, that a church ought to have a testimony in the community and a testimony of loving God and loving sinners and a place where God comes and sits down and meets with His people. But that can't take place without those that are willing to serve in the shadows. Those that are willing to teach a Sunday school class when it's not full. Those that are willing to pass out tracts when they're not seeing much results. Those that are willing to go and do the things that nobody ever even thinks about. Let me tell you something. If you spend a week around this place, you'll realize how much has to be done that no one ever even thinks about. And we've got such wonderful people that work and serve and labor for that to take place. I think that's vital to a church's life. I think that helps that light shine. When you come through the doors, I, one of the things me and Brother Kerry have talked about with our Sunday school ministry is how vital and important it is when people come in to the facilities that they come into a place where it looks like people have been. You've been into churches sometimes. I know that you have. I've been into a few of them before where you can tell. I mean, that, you know, that carpet went down in 1904. Amen. And uh, the paint's been on the walls since before then. And, uh, you know, the cobwebs are so thick, people just started using them as beanbag chairs and You know, all of those thankless jobs that no one even thinks about, oftentimes when a person walks through the door and they can see that the place is well taken care of, they can see it's a place where people care about the house of God, they can see it's a place where people have taken seriously the admonition that's given in the book of Malachi to see, to tending to God's house, that makes a difference. That helps the light shine. Amen? That makes things happen. Let me say not only visibility, but religiously, I believe it's necessary. Uh, as we already mentioned, or we might say spiritually it's necessary, as we already mentioned, this oil is a picture of the Holy Spirit. And the oil was used for the purpose of anointing as well. I believe that the Spirit of God sits down in places where people serve the Lord. Don't you? Don't you? Uh, let's, let's try this again. Whenever Christ was baptized and the Spirit of God in the likeness of a dove sat down upon Him, why did He do that? You see, Christ was always Christ, right? He's always the Son of God. But it was at the commencement of His earthly ministry. And so it was a public testimony. And by the way, you don't have to believe this, but I believe this. He didn't perform a single miracle until the Spirit of God rested upon Him. That doesn't mean He wasn't able to do so, but rather He chose to use the empowering of the third person of the Trinity, of the Spirit of God, to exercise the will of God in the world that we live. Why did the Spirit of God do that? Because He was getting ready to serve. 
He came not to minister, or not to be ministered unto, but to minister. And because of that, the Spirit of God sat down upon him that he might enter into public ministry. You know, I believe with me and you, I, I believe God honors those that serve him. If you spend all your time waiting for somebody to clap, you're going to miss the boat. Right? If you spend all your time waiting for somebody to come along and, give, and, and pin, a, pin a ribbon on your shirt, you're going to miss it. I believe when we just simply go about serving in the shadows, the priest couldn't have anointed if Joash wasn't watching over the oil. Let me say that the things that take place up here on Sunday morning when the Spirit of God moves and, and the Spirit of God works and when uh, sinners come to know Christ and when people get help and when God is able to gain victory in people's lives, that couldn't take place if it wasn't for the efforts of those that are serving in the shadows. I see the fruitfulness of what he's doing. But, you know, I can imagine the frustrations of his job as well. Uh, anything worth doing, you're going to have to try to do it. And anything worth doing, things are going to go wrong sometimes. And anything worth doing, there's going to be frustrations in the midst of it. If there wasn't, everybody would be doing it. And so I'm sure there are some frustrations with what he did. I'd say he was frustrated sometimes because this was a job with no glory. You can imagine as people walked down the streets and they looked at the well-groomed and well-kept vineyards, how they must have bragged on the man that kept the vineyards. Probably when they saw the royal procession and they saw the camels and the donkeys and the horses and the chariots go through, probably maybe they sat back and called the man's name whose responsibility it was to tend to the grooming of those animals. But nobody ever came to the basement. Nobody ever came to the basement. Nobody ever walked down here and said, Yep, Joe Ash, the barrels are still here. Boy, you're doing a fine job. I'm sure that was frustrating sometimes. I'm sure that was frustrating. It, it's very frustrating when nobody notices. If you wonder, just wait till your wife gets her hair cut next time and don't say anything about it. You'll find out how frustrating it is when no one notices. I'm sure it was frustrating as it was a job with no glory, but I'm sure it was frustrating as it was probably a job with no gratitude. Now, I'm sure the king thanked him, but I don't know that the priests ever made the trip down to the basement to thank Joash. I don't know if the royal accountants ever went down uh, like Brother Larry does sometime and say, boy, it's nice to work in a place where the bills are took care of. Thank you, Joash, for making sure that the barrels of oil are still down here. It's a place of no gratitude. If you really want to find out if someone's doing something for the Lord, just don't thank them for it and watch how they respond. If you get in the flesh when people don't thank you, you might need to recheck your motives. Now, we're all guilty of that. I'm guilty of that. There's times, there's times when I've sat there and, you know, pastoring's funny and preaching's funny. Uh, and you know that. But, uh, you know, it's, it's a funny thing. There's times that I have, have gotten out of the pulpit and I, I've walked to the back and I've sat back there and I thought, man, now that was a wreck. I mean, if ever there was a poor sermon, I, I just preached it. I mean, there, look at that big old goose egg laying up there on the platform. That's, that's mine. That's this preacher's. And I've had people come up and say, man, preacher, you don't know how much help I got from that. Man, what a message that was. But then, if I'm to be honest, there has been occasion, once or twice, where I've walked out of the pulpit and I've thought to myself, now that, whew, they'll put that one in books. That one was something. Look back at Nick. Did you get that recorded? Hope you did. Be coming out in gold records soon. And had people walk by and say, Good message, preacher. We'll see you. Man, that flesh just... That flesh starts to say, Well, <laughs> I guess so-and-so wasn't listening. 
See, but that's the flesh. That's what the flesh does. That's how the flesh operates. And if you want to know why people are doing it, just don't thank them sometimes. See how they react. See how they respond. Now, don't misunderstand me. We all want gratitude. We all want people to be thankful for us. I'm not saying it's wrong to want people to be thankful, but I'm saying this. If you're not satisfied with the thanks that you get from heaven, but you are satisfied with the thanks that you get from your church family, something's wrong. Something's wrong. I'd say it was frustrating because it was a job with no gratitude, but I'd say it was frustrating because it was a job with no gain. I don't know. I'm sure there were times when uh, the old barrels that were empty had to be got rid of and, and new barrels were brought in. But it was not his job to increase the number of barrels. It was not his job to grow the oil supply. It was merely his job to guard it, to watch over it, and to guard it, to keep inventory and make sure everything was okay. You know, I'm sure that got frustrating sometimes. I'm sure there were times when he thought to himself, boy, I'm just not doing much down here. Boy, I mean, they could, they could put a guard dog down here and do what old Joash does. Not seeing much fruit from what I'm doing. Not seeing things grow. Doesn't look like things are getting better. How frustrating. And you know, it would be frustrating. But I found this. Growth is not always a numerical thing. Now, I, I praise the Lord for what He's done in our, our church. I, I'm thankful we are at a time where God's blessing and we're growing, and, and uh, that's a blessing, amen, because I, I feel more liberty to preach something like this. You'll know I ain't fussing or complaining or poor-mouthing. But let me say it is frustrating when you come into times where it doesn't seem like what you're doing is working. Can I tell you something? The Bible says that uh, God giveth the increase. I was talking to someone today, and we were talking about churches and church size and everything. And I, you know, I made the statement to him. I said, I guess if we were running 1,000 tomorrow, you know, that'd be wonderful. Praise the Lord for that. But that's not my goal. Now, I want to reach as many people as we can reach. Amen? I think that's a good thing. I think we ought to reach as many people as we can reach. But what if we applied that philosophy to the ministry of the Savior? He began with nobody and quickly grew to multitudes. But then, when he started giving them certain points of truth, they turned back, and the Bible says that many walk no more with him after that. And you get down to the cross, and it's just a handful of women and John, and all have forsaken him. The shepherd has been smitten, and the sheep have been scattered. Most people, most church growth experts, would look at the Lord and say, You failed. You failed. I don't think he was a failure. I don't think he was a failure. You know why? Because the Lord prospered his hand. Isn't that what the book of Isaiah chapter 53 talks about? That it will prosper in the Lord's hand what he did. Now, who could imagine? It was said before once that Napoleon Bonaparte, when he was on the Isle of Elba in exile, he was talking to one of his generals. And he said, who is the greatest leader that has ever lived? And he must have been a politician because he said, why you, you emperor, and he said, no, no, not me. And with surprise, the general looked at him and said, well, then who is it? And he said, the greatest leader to ever live was Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not saying Napoleon was a born-again Christian, but that was his answer. And the general said, well, why is that? And he said, well, I can lead armies and I can cause men to agree with me at the point of a sword. But only he can do it through love in the way that he does. He understood the devotion and the sway and the allegiance that those that love the Lord Jesus Christ have to Him. No, when I look at the Lord's ministry, I wouldn't say it was a failure. I wouldn't say it was a failure. In fact, I'd say it's the greatest victory 
and the greatest success that has ever taken place. And it may have not looked like much on that day at Calvary, but oh, it sure looks like a lot now, and it's going to look like a lot more pretty soon. Amen? I'm sure it was frustrating because it was a job of no gain. But we see not only the fruitfulness and the frustrations of his job, but I want you to notice finally the main quality that he needed. Now, Joash did not have to be a real smart man. And I don't mean that in an ugly way. He may have been a real smart man. Uh, He did not really have to be a real brave man. There might have been a time or two where he had to step in. Uh, He didn't have to have uh, great speaking abilities. Uh, He was down in the basement by himself. But there was one quality that he needed above all. Let me say that I want you to notice the faithfulness of this man's job. His great, great requirement was that he be there. That he be there. I believe that all those that are there ought to do, don't you? I believe all those that are present ought to do in some way, in some capacity. But let me say that oftentimes we're we're so worried about getting those that are present to do that we neglect preaching to those that aren't present that they need to be present. I know, I know, I understand, but I'm merely saying this. There's a lot to be said for just being there. Just being there. Again, I'm almost thankful, and the Lord always knows what He's doing. Amen? And I'm thankful He gave me this message for this evening, because I think this is a great crowd, better than it probably normally is around here on a Sunday night. I'm very encouraged by what I see when I look out over the congregation. Uh, But but let me say this, that uh, you don't realize the effect it might have when you're just not present, when you're just not there, just not accounted for. Joash had to be there. Why was he there? What kept him faithful? Well, I think there was a few things that kept him faithful. I think for one thing, he had the right purpose. What was he doing there? Was he there so that the barrels wouldn't be stolen? Well, in a sense he was, but chances are, day in and day out, there probably weren't too many attacks on the cellar. No, he was there because the king had put him there. That was why. He was there because the king went to him and said, Joash, I have a job for you. And he did it because that was his king. And he owed his allegiance and his loyalty to him. Let me tell you something. As long as you serve the Lord for me or for the person sitting next to you or even for the collective group in these walls, you won't be faithful very long. But when you begin to see serving God as a matter of responsibility from the King of kings and Lord of lords, that will solve every faithfulness problem you might struggle with. When you begin to see that it's not just a a matter of me doing it because no one else will do it, but it's a matter of me doing it because it's an honor to serve the king, then and then alone will you find the faithfulness you need to wait and to watch. I think probably because he had the right purpose, but I think because he had the right perspective. You see, he understood that being down in that basement, it wasn't a drudgery, but it was an honor. He understood that with so mighty a king as he had in David, that even, even watching over the oil in the cellar was a great honor. It was a great honor. I mean, he'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. He'd rather do even the small thing. Well, let me ask you a simple question. Just, just simple. And you just give, give me, I mean, be patient with me. But if you remember where you were at when Christ found you, can I ask you something? Has not your worst day as a Christian been far better than your best day as a lost sinner? Isn't it good to be in the employment of the King of Kings? What an honor! 
What an honor. Let me tell you something. I'd rather, I'd rather be keeping a church pew warm than a bar stool warm. Man, you know? I, I mean, listen, I, I, I'd rather be, I, I'd rather be uh, forcing myself through this book than lavishing mine eyes on something that was unfit and some wicked thing. You know, I, I'd rather listen to somebody sing off-key, Brother Kerry. The songs of Zion and hear someone with a beautiful voice sing the songs of hell. I mean, he had the right perspective. He understood. It may, it may be a basement, but it's the king's basement. It may, be the, it may be the cellar, but it's the king's cellar. It may be a barrel of oil, but hey, it's the king's barrel of oil. Hey, it may be a toilet, but it's the king of kings' toilet. It, it may, listen, it, 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 may, it may be a Florida sweep, but it's his Florida sweep. It, it may listen. It may be a mess to clean up, but it, you're cleaning it up in the service of God Almighty. I think he had the right perspective, don't you? And then I want you to notice: not only did he have the right purpose and the right perspective, uh, but I think he understood the promise of the reward of the king one day. I, I think he had the right incentive, if I could say it that way. I think he understood that if no one else saw. David probably knew just how many barrels of oil were in his cellar. No one else kept a record of it. No one else cared how many barrels were down there. I think David probably, at some, at some point, I don't know what it was like to be the king of Israel. I, I have no idea. I don't know what his day-to-day consisted of. But I promise you there was somebody came along with whatever the biblical Middle Eastern equivalent was of a clipboard and said, David, let me give you an inventory what belongs to you today. And maybe came along and said, you know, we have X number of barrels of oil down in the cellar. David might have even thought to himself, well, you know, I know that we use them up on a regular basis, but doesn't it seem like we have a surplus? They said, oh, there's a surplus. Joash, he's doing a good job. We haven't had any loss this month. Nobody's got in. Nobody's broken in. Nobody's stolen any. None of the barrels have been busted. He's doing a fine job down there. Probably no one else in the kingdom saw it. Probably no one else in the kingdom cared, but the king cared. You know, that ought to be enough. That ought to be enough. Let me tell you something. Nobody might notice, but if you're doing it for the Lord, you be assured that he always notices. There's nothing escapes his eye. I mean, it may get difficult sometimes. Sometimes folks may be, may be ungrateful, unthankful. But understand that he always, there's, there's not, he always pays the reward to those that have served him. He's no man's debtor. Anything you do for him, he will exceeding and abundantly repay you for. Man, what an encouragement. Just know that God sees. Just know that God sees. Every time you go in and do something, you think nobody notices. Know that God notices. Every time that you get discouraged and you think, I can't do this anymore. I'm ready. I'm done. I can't do it anymore. Just remember who you're doing it for. And you might say, well, preacher, I don't know that I've been doing it for them. Well, then make a commitment today, afresh and anew. To do it for Him. That's the only way that it'll matter. Do it for Him, for His glory, for His honor. And as we approach this next week, and this week's going to be full of a lot of moments, uh, you know, I, I'm, sure, I'm sure there were some times Joash just about stormed out of the cellar. Don't you know? I remember the first year that we did Vacation Bible School when I was here, and I, I know it went on for a lot of years before I got here, but the first year when I was here... And, uh, we had sent out the mail out, and uh, 
we we got good response, <laughs> excellent response, and uh, we had a woman that that was driving the van for us. That same fifteen passenger van that sits out there. It's got it. You can only put twelve passengers in there. It's got a seat took out, and she was driving that van. And uh, she went and it went to one apartment complex, and and man, there's droves, droves there. And uh, when she come back, there's 24 people in that 15-passenger van that was really a 12-passenger. And she pulled in. She said, Preacher, there's more waiting. What do I do? And, you know, I was young. I mean, probably if I'd had any sense, I'd have said, Take half these back, you know. But I didn't have no sense. I said, Go get them, you know. So she goes out and she comes back. About, I don't know, Tuesday or Wednesday, she met me in the parking lot. She said, I'm done. I'm done. I can't do it anymore. I'm done with it. No, you find somebody else. I'm over it. I'm done. You know, there might be some times like that this week. (laughs) There might be some times like that this week. When those times come, just remember who you're doing it for. You're not doing it for me. You're not doing it for for Brother Kerry. You're not doing it for those around you. Let me tell you something. As much as I enjoy seeing young people come to know Jesus Christ, you might be doing it for that, but you're not doing it for them. You're doing it for the Lord of glory. And He's worthy and He's due all of our service. With our heads bowed, with our eyes closed, as the musician slips to the piano, the altar is open this evening. If you just want to come and ask for strength this evening from the Lord, ask for encouragement, or thank the Lord for His goodness, that He counted you worthy to put you in the ministry. You may not be a Sunday school teacher. You may not be uh, anybody that the world might see as prominent or important. But in what you're doing for the Lord Jesus Christ, you want to thank Him for counting you worthy.